is entitled With Great Hope. And our focus last week was uh, finding hope in the now. And I uh, quoted my good friend Lane Alderman and gave you the ABCs of hope. If you uh, missed that sermon, uh, you can go back and find it online. And I'm excited to share with you uh, the second installment of our sermon series today. And our focus is going to be hope is our identity. We're going to turn to the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I would invite you to listen for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then Paul uh, quotes a hymn that was sung at that time. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Christ is Lord. So glory of the Father and glory of God. So therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. So do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the fall of 2004, just before I interned at Trinity Church in Atlanta, something very interesting happened. If you remember the fall of 2004, you will remember that that was a presidential election year. From what I understand, the presidential uh, campaign had, like it often does in the closing months, become contentious. And it was beginning uh, to leak into the life of the church. Mostly people had made up their minds about who they were going to vote for, and they were on edge leading up to the election. The senior pastor at the time, Scott Black Johnston, had done something very interesting that fall that no one knew about, but that he revealed at the beginning of a sermon one Sunday morning. 
At the beginning of one of his sermons, just before the presidential election, Scott said this from the pulpit. This fall, I've been going around our community and asking two questions, and I'm here to report my findings. The first question is this. Do you mind telling me who you are planning to vote for in the election this fall? John Kerry or George Bush? Don't worry, it'll stay between us. Scott said, I want to report this morning that at least half of you are planning on voting for John Kerry and the other half of you are planning to vote for George Bush. The second question I've been uh, going around our community, community and asking this fall is this, do you feel like you are in the majority or in the minority? And Scott said, I'm here to report this morning that almost all of you feel like you are in the minority. It was a stunning revelation for that community. People couldn't believe that they weren't in the minority of people who were going to vote for their particular candidate. As I understand it, people had been walking around with a sense of hopelessness for months that they were in the minority of people who viewed and understood the world in a particular way. And naturally, that hopelessness had begun to spill over into the matters of the church and how they uh, began to view each person that they encountered in a committee meeting or in the pew during worship. They had become suspicious that they were in the minority and everyone else <laughs> was against them. I have to tell you, I think it was a stroke of genius for Scott to help that congregation uncover the half-truth that they were all living with and was eating away at their unity and hopelessness as a congregation. Disunity and the hopelessness that it leaves in its wake has been part of the church well since the very beginning of the church. Paul, from a prison cell, begins his letter to the Philippians with beautiful, poetic, and prayerful language that we read from last week. And then... When Paul gets to the second page of his letter, or chapter 2, he addresses why he's really writing disunity. Paul implores those in Philippi, please think as one, love as one, be united and in agreement. Don't do anything out of selfishness. Instead of looking out for number one, Watch out for the good of others. Act like Jesus. I don't hear Paul so much calling for everyone to stand united. I don't hear Paul so much issuing a statement on the importance of unity. Which, Will Willimon says what we all know, what often passes for unity is uh, that dissenting voices have been suppressed. Disagreement has been papered over and dissidents have been encouraged to just fade away quietly. Unity can be a matter of uh, shut up and go along with the majority. I don't hear Paul calling for people to live out of a false sense of unity. But rather what I do hear 
Is Paul calling the church in Philippi to reconsider the identity from which they are living out of? I hear Paul saying, whatever your disunity is about, it can be resolved by addressing the root cause which is you are not living out of your identity in Christ. You're Christians. Be united to one another in the same way that Christ has united with you. That's your identity of hope and faith. You know, um, Paul never names what the Philippians are at odds over. Rather, Paul chooses to speak to the deeper truth, that they are not unified in their identity as followers of Christ. They are not living out of their true selves, made in the image of God, but, in the words of Richard Rohr, they are living out of their false selves, or their ego, which we know, if we live out of that place, it always leads to hopelessness. You know, I haven't um, conducted a congregational poll this election season here at Preston Hollow, but I did read this week that our particular political affiliations as Americans is now more determinative of our deepest commitments than our religious affiliation. Think about that. Depending on whether we are a Republican or a Democrat, or if we're a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter, or if we really admire Cruz or AOC, or if we choose to ingest Fox News or MSNBC, those allegiances mean more to us and shape our views more than our designation as Christian. Some would ask, has it not always been thus? We go to Scripture to confirm what we believe, not to unearth what we could believe, said Shirley Guthrie. At which point, Paul would say what I think our grandmothers, or in my case, my nana, would say to us. Well, if that's the case, we've certainly gotten our priorities out of order. And our priorities begin with our identity in God. Paul would say, our identity in Christ should always come first, then everything else second. It's the same thing Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Which then begs the question, does it not? How do we live out of our identity in Christ? Which then naturally leads us to the question, do we know our true identity? The words uh, of Jesus are helpful in this instance. In the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. My favorite Jesuit, Father Gregory Boyle, has something uh, compelling to share with us about Jesus's words. Father Boyle states, uh, Jesus says you are the light of the world. I like even more what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, one day, if you are more perfect and uh, if you try really hard, you'll be light. Jesus doesn't say, uh, if you play by the rules and cross your T's and dot your I's, then maybe you'll become light. 
No, Jesus says straight out, you are light. It is the truth of who you are waiting only for you to discover it. So for God's sake, there is no need to contort yourself to be anything other than who you are. So then the invitation becomes, does it not? For you and for I to know at our core, at the center of our being is the divine image of God, light. And by the grace of God, we don't have to do anything to earn that or achieve that. No, you are light straight out. Accept it. Because the truth is we can't give what we don't have. Accept that grace and the hope that then comes from that gift as your true identity. Though I wonder, I wonder if even now, a lifetime of, uh, of pain, a lifetime of ugly theology, a lifetime of memories or regret may be bubbling up within you, and it's leading you to sort of resist this good news. That's totally natural. Whatever may be bubbling up within you, don't push it away. Pay attention to that tension that may be arising in the face of this invitation of good news, and then ask yourself, what is standing in the way of me receiving this good news? Make friends with that tension, but don't let the tension and doubt define you, because you are the light of the world straight out just the way you are by the grace of God you are just what God had in mind when God created you I want to say in my life I've certainly felt that resistance and I used to think uh, it was unfaithful to, to to push against that good news and I felt uh, that tension in my life because uh, God used to feel like to me like a static divine being who existed somewhere else and who sort of uh, er, intervened and parachuted into the world from time to time. But now my faith, through the wisdom of many teachers and through so many experiences, has revealed, has taught me that I've come to know that God is so much bigger than I could have ever imagined. God is so much more vibrant and alive, and God is less out there and more right here, right now which has led me to believe with every fiber of my being that faith then is something that we don't do from afar. But faith is an endless invitation to participate in what the divine is doing right here, right now. Christ didn't say, 
think like me. Christ didn't say, uh, believe in me. No, Christ said, follow me. And even more, emulate me. So my friends, the invitation is to reflect the love of Christ out into the world because it is your true identity and to seek to follow in the ways of Christ each and every day because you are the light of the world. It's the core of who you are. So go out and live as though it is true in your life and in your family and at your office and on Zoom and in your virtual classroom or on your soccer team or at your company retreat and in every place of your life because that is your true identity. And an, an identity given by grace and rooted in hope of Christ. For I believe that is an identity that is certainly in the majority. For don't you know, that's the identity God sees in you and in all of God's people. Thanks be to God. Amen. Family of Faith, please join us in affirming together 